Hello everybody, my name is Lat Mackey and this is Sequence Break, Episode 10, Super Mario RPG Randomizer with PID01. Very excited as always to, uh, for the guest today. Um, it's the one the only PID01. And uh, I guess, uh, first of all, hello Pidge, how you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, if you don't mind, uh, is there an origin story behind your name by any chance? Oh, um, I was 11 years old in either 2000 or 2001. It was the end of sixth grade anyway. Uh, I was going, I was looking for Pokemon chat rooms and uh, I put in the name Pidge because Pidgeot's my favorite Pokemon and it was already taken. So I was like, oh. Well, I guess I gotta. I guess I gotta put a number at the end of my name. So I want. I just put like. I don't remember what the zero one came from, but I think I just wanted to spell out the number one to be like creative. Yeah. And uh, f funny enough, the person that already owned the name Pidge is still my friend to this day. She was my first internet friend, and I still have her on Facebook and everything like that. So wow, <laughs> that was like nineteen years ago now. <laughs> wow, that is actually like a perfect segue. So like, so <laughs> what did you have? Uh, then that in that case, what did you start playing games? Like, what was kind of your your first introduction to video games and that whole video game thing oh it was actually much before that um my mom was uh she was an arcade gamer in the 80s and my dad had like all the second gen consoles uh, when they were dating and when they first got married so like when i came along my dad had a game boy so that was what i was always playing when i was like a toddler and in preschool so cool. I don't know if your parents were anything like mine, but late at night, apparently, we, we would, my brothers and I would wake up and we would find our parents playing Game Boy Tetris. And I don't know if there was any experience like that in the house, but the parents played the Game Boys just as much as we did. My dad definitely did. My mom, uh, she she wasn't playing as much by the time I was born. And my dad, uh, um, they started a business around the time I was three years old. So like gaming wasn't really a thing for them anymore, except <laughs> occasionally my dad would play GoldenEye with me and my brother. But um, I would, the, the only thing I woke up in the middle of the night for was to sneak out of my room at 4 a.m. and start recording uh, Super Mario Bros. Super Show, um, started watching it. And uh, I got in trouble one morning for that. My mom was like, we have a VCR, just record it. I'll show you how to set up the timer. <laughs> You don't need to be up for that. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, okay. So uh, it sounds like a Nintendo house. Did, uh, were there any games that you, that like first took you or that first got you addicted to video gaming or anything like that? Absolutely. That game was Dr. Mario for the Game Boy, which is funny because that is like widely memed on as like the silliest early version of the game. Um <laughs> <laughs> no joke. The, this was not on purpose, by the way. The, I, I just changed this, the uh, the interview layout, and we're using a Dr. Mario as the interview layout. So that is so crazy. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing, because I do also speedrun that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Game Boy version of the game um, is kind of different from the other ones of its time, like Super Nintendo and NES, in that uh, you have to stack uh, four colors of the same color to eliminate a line. But the Game Boy version doesn't actually leave you three spaces at the top of the bottle. Sometimes it can populate viruses into the second and third row, which occasionally makes like boards that are extremely difficult to solve. And uh, yeah, good luck with that. So getting a deathless run in zero to 20 Game Boy is actually a really impressive feat and stuff that not everyone has accomplished. <laughs> did, uh, did the Game Boy, for, did the Game Boy Dr. Mario have a versus mode? I can't quite remember. It did. You needed a link cable for it. Oh, okay. So you needed separate Game Boys in the cartridge and everything for that. Yeah. 
it was definitely. I mean, it's still. I think the game still holds up really well today. It's super fun, and it's and it's it's. Uh, for me, it was like it's it, it reminded me of Tetris, but was definitely a good alternative to Tetris too, <laughs> to, to to mix it up oh, yeah. as far as puzzling. Yeah, I, I still love it. Like the Game Boy version, especially, has some pretty interesting movement tech that I think is kind of cool. Like it's it's obsolete in the other versions of the game because in the Super Nintendo version, you can just press left or right to move left or right quickly. <laughs> but in the Game Boy version, you got to flip while you're doing it. It's like, huh, okay, this is hurting my hand, but I'll do it. <laughs> Oh, joy, the limitations of the original Game Boy. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Okay, that's awesome. I, I have uh, many of friends who actually still geek out on Game Boy who aren't like speedrunners or they're outside of our community. And it's really cool that people like that. That's one of those games that has definitely survived and shown the test of time, which is really cool. Definitely. Okay, so very cool. So that's definitely, when did you, so I'm curious, when did you first discover then speedrunning? Like what, what was like your first experience of maybe watching a speedrun or trying one out on your own? I'm not sure. What was, what's your speedrunning story, if you don't mind? To be honest with you, I get asked this question often and I honestly don't remember. Um, <laughs> that, that's probably an underwhelming answer. I really have no idea what my first exposure to speedrunning was. I do have a couple of like pivotal moments in my past that kind of like got me more into it. I don't remember when I first discovered speedrunning because like I have been in the competitive Smash community since 2011. Mm. And uh, I had a couple friends in that community who were speedrunners and I didn't really know much about it. Like I didn't kind of understand what it was all about. Um, uh, but occasionally, you know, I'd watch GDQ. Uh, I'd have it on in the background while I did something else. Like, I never knew when it was happening. I'd just open up Twitch and say, oh, they're doing speedruns on the front page. That's kind of cool. I'll just leave that on in the background while I'm working on whatever. It's working on, like, a Mario Bros. 3 card simulator or something like that. Um, so, I... but... <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying? No, no, no. Please continue. Continue. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh... There were, there were a couple different things that were kind of important in getting into speedrunning. One of them was when uh, Morks, a DKC 2 and 3 speedrunner, was staying at my house. Back in the day in like 2012 in the Smash Bros. Brawl community in Toronto, I was one of the only people in our community who didn't live with their family, so I didn't have to ask anyone's permission for them to stay over at my house. <laughs> so whenever people would come in from out of town, usually they would stay at my house because I lived fairly close to where the venue was, and I also never had any issues like having people out to stay over. Um, so one time, uh, the Quebec players were staying with me and Marks was one of them and he ran DKC3 at a GDQ I think it was 2015 and also an earlier one um he was uh he saw that I had a Super Nintendo so he was just like doing random speed stuff in DKC2 and I'm like oh that's really cool I wonder if I could do that but I never like really thought much of it um 2015 rolls around and I find out there's actually going to be a speedrun marathon in Toronto and I'm like holy crap that's amazing <laughs> um the speedrun marathon was integrated with an esports event uh called uh, EGL which if you've ever heard of EGLX it's like our big esports expo up in Canada that happens once or twice a year EGL was like the pilot event for EGLX it happened early in 2015 the organizers were having like they're having smash bros tournaments FGC tournaments land game tournaments and they also had a speedrunning section so they invited a couple people there so I met Trihex I met Majin Phil I met some other people I met uh Azure. he goes by now he used to be Elminster 45 back then ran Super Metroid he and I are still pretty good friends to this day um but I got I was like sort of in the area just kind of waiting for it to start and trihex's super nintendo wasn't working so um we found there was a vendor in the venue that was selling like a third party super nintendo like just a console that could play super nintendo and nes games so we got that we 
got him one, he was able to borrow it from the vendor and uh, was able to do his Yoshi's Island run. And because I was just kind of hanging around in the area, he let me be on the couch. So, so that was like, that was like a really cool moment for me. I'm like, oh, wow, this actually kind of seems like something I could really get into. Um, And later that year, one of my friends from the SMRPG community, um, oh, actually, there's another part of the story. A couple months before that, a couple months before that, I was streaming Super Mario RPG just casually because it's my favorite game of all time. Um, I was just streaming it once a week. I was doing a playthrough of the game, except I play through it so many times I'm running out of things to do in the game. So I'm like, hey, you know what I'm going to do this time? Um, I used to do um, no equips, no level grinding, and it is actually really difficult because at the time I didn't know all the perfect blocks in the game. So um, I had done it twice before, and but I did it at my ex-boyfriend's house. So a bunch of people on Twitter were telling me it was impossible and I'm like what no it's not I've done it okay you know what I'll stream it and prove you all wrong so I would stream part of the playthrough once a week and uh, one day a guy that I knew because I used to watch I Ate Your Pie speed run the game and he was friends with Milnium they would race once in a while so Milnium shows up in my chat one day who just found me through the directory and he's just like what the heck are you doing <laughs> and I'm just explaining oh yeah you know I'm just doing uh, I'm just doing um, this snow equip snow level grinding playthrough it's just something that I like to do and he's like oh this is interesting he just kind of thought that was weird and popped into my stream and then we became friends because I'm like oh hey I recognize you and um during the year he would say stuff to me like hey you know you should try out the speed run like you obviously know what you're doing with the game and I said to him oh no I'd never be any good at that are you kidding me so (laughs) so then at the end of the year I, I I finally caved I was like okay you know what 2016 my new year's resolution I will learn the SMRPG speed run and I will complete a run so, and here we are today. <laughs> the rest is history. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I just, it's so funny, like how so many of us in the community meet each other. I love these, like, they, it's just, it never, it, it never ceases to amaze me how sometimes so simple or something innocuous just turns into something you're, you're going to know this person for the next 10 years, you know, just to. Uh, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Like, it was, it was so, so random. And my first couple days streaming the game, like, just starting to learn it is actually how I met my best friend. He came into my stream and started helping me and now i can't imagine what my life would be without him it's just like they just happen like that <laughs> and i think you hit on something that's kind of interesting too i i there, it's, there's always going to be crossover with other communities and things like that and you mentioned uh the uh the smash community and it, it, i've noticed i mean even today i mean agdq is coming up and and there's already a tournament being organized for smack there is a heavy cross in my opinion i've, I've noticed that there's been a bunch of people who have crossed over from smash to speed running and, and back and forth again and and i just i'm curious is, is there anything about that game that makes it that 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 appeals to both speedrunners and somebody who wants to be playing smash i, I don't know the game very well so i'm i'm just gonna brag for a sec i actually did win the n64 smash tournament at sgdq 2018 uh, hell yes nice congrats <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that was that was fun. That was actually the game that I played competitively for the longest. Um, I honestly just think it's just the ubiquity of Smash and also the ubiquity of Nintendo speedruns. Like there are a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people that speedrun Nintendo games, and most of them grew up in Nintendo households. And if you grew up in a Nintendo household, you probably had at least one copy of Super Smash Bros. And Super Smash Bros. Growing up, that was like the party game that you played with your friends. So. That's that's just kind of how it is. That's also how people kind of get into the competitive Smash community. Um, when you get that many people under one roof who like video games, like there's bound to be enough people that are really into Smash Bros who will play it. 
uh, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. What you're saying. I, that's uh, I, I always forget too the the power of the Nintendo inside of a household, and and you know what kind of games go along with it. The especially games that are that are everywhere that are so popular and things like that. That makes a lot of sense on the Smash side. Of things. Yeah, yeah. Like my brother and I were only a year apart. I'm older by one year, so mm. we grew up with. Uh, we got the first Super Smash Bros when it came out. I was ten. He was nine. Mm. Um, and that kind of like that shaped a lot of things for us going forward like that was something we played smash like constantly <laughs> except we didn't play versus each other we played on teams versus cpus oh, um wow. and, and so that i i had so many good memories playing that game that when i went to university there i had two people on my floor who in my dorm who were really into playing smash bros like competitively so i would play with them and i'd always get my ass kicked but um <laughs> then i started going to tournaments uh, when I moved out of the dorm, I, I started going to tournaments and then I went to hang out with them at their house a few months later and then no one could beat me anymore. And they were like, oh my God, you got so good. Like what happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, you just, you know, you touched upon something too. I think that's, that's uh, is becoming now a common theme with everyone who I, I've chatted with is that it's not so like with video games, there's definitely a nostalgia factor, but there's also uh, these really good memories associated with certain things. And you just touched on one with your brother playing Smash and things like that. I mean, I have the same exact experience. I, I have these really just quality, great memories of playing with my brothers playing video games. We were a Mario Kart folks, but you know, it's, it's still, it's, it's pick your poison. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, it's, 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 it goes above and beyond a little bit of nostalgia where you really have some really enjoyable memories of these things. Yeah, I think that also, um, for some people, not for everyone, I think for me in particular, that also factors into what games I choose to speedrun. If I have a really positive memory associated with that mm -hmm. game, or if I remember really enjoying it when I was younger, I think about playing it again to just kind of like relive that a little bit, except, oh, I'm going to learn the speedrun and do things a little differently. Most of the games that I run are, are stemmed in that. Ah, uh, interesting. So, you know, and that's, I think that's, you know... Um, I People ask, hey, what's a good first speed run and things like that? And my always recommendation, because this is what the recommendation to me is, pick a game that you love and that you're really going to enjoy because you're going to be playing it a million different times. So pick yeah. something that you enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. There's also like, I also hear the counter argument that if you learn the speed run, you'll never be able to enjoy it the same way again, <laughs> but it actually only made me appreciate SMRPG more. So I guess like my advice to that also would be watch a video of the speed run and see if you actually like what they're doing. If you don't, don't speed run it, pick another game. But if you think it's kind of cool, go for it. You're only going to increase your appreciation for the game. So you you mentioned it and you took us a little bit through your actually why you ended up choosing Super Mario RPG anyway, to be your first speed run. Um, did it, was there any, um, I don't know, hesitation or anything that, uh, the reason I ask is because an RPG to speed run, especially as your first one, for me personally, seems intimidating. I play a lot of platformers that are under 30 minutes. This is a game that's going to take, but you have to put hours in just to complete a run. Um, and was there any, when you first started learning it, was there any sort of something, any intimidation or any uh, challenges along the way learning the run? I think um, my biggest source of intimidation was, like most people, 100 super jumps, but I was also very easily convinced that it's not that difficult to do. I couldn't do it at the time, but um, I had done 30 before at an ex-boyfriend's house, and I was like, oh, I mean, you know, I did 30 once. I'm sure I could do it again if I just practiced enough. Um, but I was also kind of afraid of... Uh, doing a run and getting to the hundred super jumps and just losing the run because I can't complete it. Just like would not be able to understand why I can't get it. And, uh, 
that actually never happened to this day i've never lost a run to just like not being able to nail the super jumps just like sitting there wondering why i can't get it that has never happened it's that the, the tech is like it looks a lot harder than it actually is you just have to put a lot of time into learning it um but that was kind of like my biggest source of hesitation i was like i can't super jump so like what am i going to do in the speed run like i'm not going to have the super suit there actually is a route that does not use super jumps that people can um learn if they want to just pick up the game sort of casually and not really um invest that much time into learning that tech but um i i think um it took maybe like two seconds of someone telling me oh no it's not that hard and i'd be like okay you know what i believe you i'll learn it <laughs> i was i was very i was very easily swayed <laughs> no no i mean okay so my experience with uh, smrpg is mostly just as a, a a viewer and as a fan it's i i find the the speed run of it to be utterly watchable all the time no matter who's when it's on and who's running it i really enjoy watching the speed run and i i didn't realize that there actually even is a route that could get you around it just so if you wanted to start but it's i'm still on the edge of my seat every time I, you know, I'm counting with the chat along, you know, <laughs> counting a hundred of those yeah. things as you're in the run. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. that's... Ahead, that's one of the kind of sorry yeah i was just gonna say that's one of the kind of cool things about the speed run of smrpg is that it incorporates so many different skills and there isn't really a lot of downtime in the run because the cutscenes are relatively short uh, when you think about it from an rpg perspective the longest cutscene is like maybe a couple minutes and uh the other nice thing about smrpg is that we are allowed to use turbo controllers so we don't destroy our hands like mashing or anything not that you would in that game anyway but it's just right. a nice kind of quality of life thing um everything happens like super fast like the overworld movement is fast there's lots of platforming there's lots of very short menuing um so the one time you do have to do a long menu it looks really impressive you have to have like uh very good action command skills because of the whole time hit system like being able to do the speedrun properly is contingent entirely on that it's uh there's a lot of variety in the things you have to do in that game and it all happens so quickly even over the course of three or five hours depending on your category that um it's just like a really fun speedrun to watch in general i think i used to love watching it before i learned it uh, Murdoch in the chat is asking, isn't it 101 total jumps? Is it actually 101? Did I... Uh... Um, no, it's it's not really because um, we don't consider the first jump as part of the count because it has a different damage calculation oh, okay. and also it's impossible to miss. Um, <laughs> okay, there you, go. It, you you press the Y button, you're going to get the jump. Um, we don't consider that because of not only the different damage calculation but also because your super jumps counter starts at zero like in pro in programming terms um if you're familiar with arrays you know it starts at zero so if you just press y and do a single super jump and drop if you go talk to the dog in monster town he says your record stands at zero so we don't count that one Fair enough. That, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, you know, you, you you touched on what I think one of the reasons that I enjoy watching uh, the SMRPG runs too is that there's there's always it, it seems like there's there's so much variety uh, of tech to your point, and then there's also something different always happening. I, I, the only other RPGs I can think of are some are. Paper Mario, I mean, the same type of games where it's like there's it's it's not just uh, I don't want to generalize um, um, RPG speedruns and just say there's menuing and then there's, you know, the overall all that kind of stuff. But it, there, it always does seem there's platforming. There's just a bunch of interesting stuff happening in SMRPG all the time, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like you touched on, Paper Mario is very much the same. That's also a really fun speedrun to watch for similar reasons. And also Paper Mario definitely has a lot of variety in its categories, which I think is really cool. Mm. I don't know much about the game myself, but I have a couple friends who run it, like uh, Verney and, and Yoshizilla especially. Yoshizilla is amazing mm. at that game. Shoutouts to him. He was at RPG Limit Break this year as well. Um, <clears throat> 
Yeah, I I used to also I used to speedrun a glitch category of Earthbound, and um, it's very different from SMRPG. Not not in like a better or worse way, just a different way. Because you know, there's uh, most RPGs don't have a platforming element, but they're still I think just as interesting in their own kind of way. In terms of um, Earthbound, especially your inventory management, I think is really cool. I think that like every RPG speedrun kind of has something unique about it that right. sets it apart from everything else in the genre. I I, I totally agree, and I I, I as as much as I've never actually attempted uh, an RPG. RPG speedrun. I completely agree with you. I think there's so many different thing, different things that make them unique, and they're all. I, that, that's I think probably why I watch and enjoy watching them because of the variety. Um, this is a good question in chat. Actually, Murdoch asks again. Um, why do you rotate A B X Y when super jumping? Um, because I'm an idiot, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's no like actual reason to it. Um, I'll actually tell you the story about that. Um. I thought you could only use the Y button to super jump when I was first starting to learn the run. And then somebody told me you can actually use any button. And I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, and that people have their own kind of preferences on which button they like to use. Like some people like to use B. I don't think anybody uses X. If they did, like that would be the ultimate flex. Um, <laughs> and I, I just thought like, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't, it, be, wouldn't it be kind of funny if... Uh, if if somebody like pressed every button on the controller to super jump and and uh i was also like that's like a terrible idea but i think it would be funny so i'm gonna do it so i i did it once like just to see um if it if i could like just to see if i could do it like just because i thought it would be funny and then i was like oh actually this isn't that bad um this well, is obviously like moving my thumb somewhere else. So it's like really stupid because I'm doing two things at once instead of just focusing on pressing the button. But also um, I came up with my own counting system for it. So I only count Y presses. So I'm counting to 25, which like placebo in my brain feels like less intimidating than counting to 100. Um, I don't recommend it because like if you are learning how to super jump and while you're trying to learn how this tech works, you're also moving your hand all around the controller. Like you're going to be in for a bad time. And I only did it because like, I'm, I've always like kind of been like a class clown kind of archetype. So it, I, I don't know. I just thought it'd be funny. So I did it and now I can't not do it. So I kind of cursed myself. Hey, but okay. So, but in all fairness, we're, we're, we're attempting games hundreds and thousands of times. Sometimes you got to do something to keep it interesting and keep yourself engaged sometimes, you know? The funny thing is that, like, one time Albrecht was telling me, he's like, oh, yeah, I do that, too, on runs that I'm not taking seriously. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I only do it on runs. I do it on every run because now I have to do it. If I if I, I try now to just press one button and, like, it gets me really anxious. So when I'm doing ultra jumps, because you typically don't have to do more than, like, 14 ultra jumps, and the frame window for that one is super forgiving until it hits 18. Um, with ultra jumps, I sometimes I just press one button. I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to drop. I'm going to drop. I'm going to drop. <laughs> um one time i was at smash record 2016 and at that uh, marathon pie and mill actually had a co-op run and that was my first time meeting either of them it was my first uh speedrun event that i traveled to i was uh hanging out with them because they were using one of my practice cards and mill did super jumps but he did it he did the rotation abxy backwards and he turns to me and he goes i call that the reverse pitch <laughs> Uh, curious is uh, is is smash the record with uh, the 2016 is that the one that was in ontario california by any chance no that was 2017 the okay. one in ontario california is when i ran earthbound and dr mario and did some other fun stuff on stream but 2016 i was just on couch 2016 was in uh it's a it was near orlando florida oh wow oh, it was on the other side of the country holy cow okay yeah 
Uh, the reason I ask is because we, we were talking earlier a little bit about Smash and speedrunning. Kind of, there's some overlap. And I, the first event that I ever attended, but I wasn't actually running anything and was Smash the Record in 2017, which I bring it up because it was literally 10 minutes away from where I was living at the time. So it was. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, it was so I was like, I could almost walk there. I was like, oh, wait, this, I got to check this out. Their speedrunners are going to be in town. So, but I. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I, I was definitely at that event doing speedruns. <laughs> I wish I would have known. Okay. So if you permit me just a moment to detour for a second. So my um, uh, my introduction to you was um, when you were offering up your uh, input displays uh, online and if people wanted to order them, they could. You'd have them available uh, at, I think it was SGDQ. And I have one in yes, my hand that right. I'm showing on the stream right now. And and Murdoch was mentioning that, you know, you have the, your input display going on stream. Do you mind taking just a quick second and telling us what do, what is what uh, is an input display and uh, why would uh, once you, why do you use yours? Oh yeah, um, input displays are pretty cool. They, um, the way that we make them, the, the the software for them is open source. It's uh, I've written, I believe, by Evil Ash Twenty Five, and uh, they're fairly simple to construct um, from an Arduino and an extension cord. So, um, so I make them and I sell them for anyone who wants them. I, I usually just use uh, electrical tape to tape them up, just kind of like as a low cost option for them mm -hmm. um, that I do in my spare time once in a while. Um, an input display is like. I've got mine up here on the uh, on the stream too. By the way, just to let you know. Oh, awesome! <laughs> I'm I'm glad it's holding up for you. Um, yeah, the input display is like you take an extension cord for any controller type that you like. Um, well, by any control, I mean within limitations. The software only supports so much. Mm -hmm. You uh, you cut it in half and you split open all the wires in it. And depending on the controller type it is, you connect. Um, you connect the split wires into different pins on the Arduino. And then you plug the Arduino into your computer via USB. You plug your controller into the extension cord and you plug your extension cord into the console. And uh, you flash some firmware onto the Arduino and it reads the pins that you spliced your wires into. And uh, it will translate your inputs into a format that the program uh, Nintendo Spy or RetroSpy can understand. And with uh, Nintendo Spy and RetroSpy, um, they... They have they have uh, XML documents that uh, basically form your layouts for your input display, and people like Proximity Sound do uh, custom layouts for people. They can uh, commission them to have them display on their stream. Um, it's a it's a very cool system. Um, and what it does is you press a button on your controller and you see on your computer it's lit up and there's no input lag because of the way that we do it. We splice the we splice the wires into the Arduino pins, which the Arduino feeds out with a USB. There, there's no lag introduced because it's a passive listener. It's not actually processing your inputs to in order to pass them through to your console. It's just listening to them. Um, so yeah, people are kind of really getting into those and they're quite cool because if you are doing something in a game that's very technical, you can actually see what the inputs that the runner is doing. I really like having them because I make a lot of tutorial videos. So you can see explicitly what I'm doing. Like I've made tutorial videos on things as simple as how to buffer an input in the hallway in SMRPG Sunken Ship, um, which is like, I. I can explain how to do it. It's a it's a simple trick, but you know sometimes people are visual learners, so I explain how to do it, and then you kind of look at my controller and you see the things lit up like as it's happening on screen. You're like, oh okay, I understand what you're doing now. Um, I usually have mine on screen just because um, I don't know. I just kind of like having it there. Um, I don't really play a lot of games that require any super precise inputs, um, like in a chain sequence or anything. I don't play like uh, super technical. 
games with like frame rules and things like mm. that. I just play Super Mario RPG, which has like precise input windows, but generally not like a billion of them in a row. <laughs> right. um, I just have the input display, you know, just in case I ever decide to pick up a super technical game or if I ever want to record a tutorial video or if people want to laugh at me for doing rotation super jumps. It's just kind of there. <laughs> well, they are awesome. And I appreciate you uh, letting us know the the little bit of the technicality behind it or the technical side of it, because I'm always curious why the, 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 why there isn't any lag introduced. Like it, it boggles my mind that I can see the input instantly. And there you go. You you, you wire right our hardwire right into the uh, Arduino. So um, yeah, it's very cool. I've also so I've actually heard Mitch talk about it too, where he was he actually uses it to 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 verify that he actually did an input correctly or not, which I thought was kind of a cool use of it as well. You can use it to play back and and maybe perhaps study your runs and things like that. Oh yes, absolutely, that's true. That is another great use for them. And uh, it, I'm glad that you you do uh, talk about them and you make them. And because I first of all, my intro it, it led me to your stream, and that's how I found all of the neat stuff you do on your stream. And then because I was just like, <laughs> oh man, she she does this kick-ass hardware stuff. Has 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 that side of the the hardware and and creating something like that? When did that has have you always been interested in that kind of stuff? Or how did I'm curious how you came about to actually just making these things. I have like kind of a complicated history with hardware. Um, I failed electrical circuits in my first year of university, um, full full disclosure, but oh it's kind of something that I always wished I was better at because I've seen like the cool projects people create. And like, I, I really wish that I built a, I followed a schematic to build a parallel port adapter for an N64 controller because parallel port adapters are like lightning fast. They are incredibly good. I speed run DOS games with a Super Nintendo controller like that. But um. I couldn't get it to work because of the drivers. Uh, like I've always thought that stuff was really cool. And I always wish I knew more about it so that I could work more on very complicated hardware sides of things and kind of like understand how it works a lot better. So um, in 2017, I just decided, I guess, you know what, I'm going to make an input display because the code is open source. I just want to see if I can make it. And then, you know, if I do it well enough, maybe people will buy it from me. And then I had like 40 commissions in the next couple months. Like it was, uh, it was a nice... <laughs> It was like good to. It was a good way to get started, and also I was coming on some hard times financially at that time, so that was like a nice kind of thing to help me out on the side. Um, yeah, it was. It's actually a lot of fun to make them. Um, I learned. I had to learn how to solder to do that, and uh, the way that I learned how to solder was kind of cool. I have a friend in the Smash community, um, the Smash sixty four community. He goes by the protagonist or usually the hero on Twitter, and um, he. Uh, he does most of the hardware modding in that community because thing, uh, interesting, unique thing about the N64 Smash is that the N64 is, uh, anyone who speedruns an N64 game knows, a very laggy console, which means that when we are playing doubles with each other, it's uh, very easy to miss our inputs because of console lag. So what Protagonist and other people do is they will overclock the console so that it plays at the proper speed and that we can actually have like some really good doubles matches. So they call those OC consoles or just overclock consoles. And you can actually find them at almost any major Smash 64 tournament. There are tons of them um, so that we can have a proper doubles tournament where people are playing at their best. And uh, I had uh, a couple of overclock consoles that I commissioned from one of my buddies who lives in the USA, Night Fox. He did those for me. Um, and Protagonist did some of my other ones as well. I used to have five, but I sold most of them. Um, 
Cause I used to supply for tournaments. I run Smash 64 tournaments in the city. Got um, it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, I had like a lot of equipment. Um, so I was, one of them wasn't working one day and I was talking to protagonist and he called me on discord and uh, walked me through how to diagnose the problem with it. So we opened it up and I showed him like on a webcam, what was happening and he was looking at it and suggesting things to me to try. And he's like, okay, try soldering that wire uh, to that point. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. He's like, Oh, don't worry. It's easy. I'll, I'll tell you how because like i had a soldering iron and i just never used it um so i pulled up my soldering iron he was like kind of explaining to me how to how to do it and i was like oh this is actually really cool i like this wow. <laughs> so that was kind of so then i was like hey maybe i could do more things with that so then i learned input displays <laughs> <laughs> okay that's so funny not to go too much down the rabbit hole but i, did, I had no idea that a nintendo 64 could be overclocked is that some is that a hardware modification is that something you're doing like how are you doing that yeah, it is a hardware modification. Uh, you open it up, and um, I don't remember the exact process on how to do it. I, I attempted to do it once and never got very far. Um, but this was also, I attempted it in 2014. Like, this was a long time ago. Got it. But yeah, it, it is a hardware mod. Um, you reconfigure some stuff in there. Um, you you attach some stuff. Um, you'd have to ask more, ask those guys more about how to do it yeah. because it's not like something I'm like that familiar with. Got it. Um, but yeah, it's a very popular thing in the Smash 64 community. Um, Smash 64 like also has the unique thing where you cannot play stock with a time limit at the same time. So a lot of our tournaments actually use a ROM hack made by Jorgasms um, called 19XX. And that actually adds a timer to stock matches so that we can have like a legit... Um, a match go to time if it has to and because uh, that that's like a legitimate strategy when you get to very high levels of play if you're playing versus super campy player and you have the percent lead you're going to time them out so you have eight minutes to do it you can't do that on a typical car cartridge but we need that in place for tournament play it's uh that it's uh i could go on all day about the smash 64 <laughs> community but that's just like some kind of interesting things that you don't like really see anywhere else in that in that series well and and that's i think one of the the fascinating or one of the awesome things about these different communities that exist in video in gaming because the smash community had this need and they wanted to play the game a certain way and it works better for tournaments this way and i love that the community has come about by choosing an approach you know modifying the rom to have one that works for for a tournament well modifying the hardware I mean, this is that just blows my mind i mean that's so cool that that the community was able to come together and actually be able to do i'm sure there was disagreements and people wanted to what what is fair you know all these kind of things but i think that, how cool is it that they ended up in a place like that yeah, it's it's really cool. Like, in one thing that I love about Smash 64 is that they're incredibly, incredibly resourceful. If there is a need for something, someone in that community will make it happen. And I find that speedrunning is very similar. Um, speedrunning is really, really, really similar. And I think that's kind of why, like, those communities were kind of the ones I, I stuck with. So you touched on it just a tad, and if you don't mind, just briefly. So you mentioned going to university and things like that. When did you, or at least I assume you, I've seen some of your streams where you're doing programming and coding and things like that. <laughs> when did uh, when did you get that itch, or how did that how did your your development in that come about? Oh, like doing developments. Yeah, like because um, we're going to lead into the SMRPG randomizer yeah, discussion. I'm yeah. curious how that came about. Oh, I was 13 years old, still on Pokemon chat rooms, and, uh, <laughs> but by that time I had downloaded MIRC, you know, I was one of the cool kids that wasn't using the Java chat applet anymore, oh, I was, I was like a big deal now, um, <laughs> Uh, people had like automated scripts to show like what music they were listening to or yeah. like auto responses to DMs and things like that. Or they built chat bots. So like, uh, 
chat commands and things like that. Like, you know how everyone has Twitch bots nowadays. Well, that was like, we were doing that in IRC back in like the 90s and the early 2000s. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I had a fairly popular channel on the server at the time. So I was like, I'm going to make something like that. Um, so then I started, I just started like searching for scripts like mirc scripts back in like msn search or something like that um <laughs> just like looking for similar things and reading them and being like okay i think i kind of understand how this works but i don't but not really so i'm gonna try changing a bunch of stuff in this code and see what it does and also like the help files in mirc explain like what all the variables and uh, operators do and stuff so i spent a lot of time reading that documentation and eventually you know i put together some scripts for reverse engineering other ones and i was able to kind of understand what was going on under the hood and and uh, I got, I was doing that like for a bunch of stuff over the next two years. I finally took a couple of introductory programming courses at my high school. And uh, yeah, that, that, that was, that was kind of how I got into it, but I didn't, I didn't do it in university. I went to university for industrial engineering, which is like, I had two or three classes where I needed to know how to write stuff in Java, but it wasn't like a computer science program it wasn't like a software engineering industrial engineering is like systems engineering so i was all about um like optimization math hmm. that was my favorite course was um optimization like operations research but i couldn't find any internships in it so i switched to user interface design so everything that i was doing was like you know i was designing prototypes in uh, rapid prototyping software and photoshop or adobe illustrator like i wasn't doing a whole lot of programming um oh. it was just kind of like my hobby yeah um, so, but but my, it, God, I'm sorry. my thesis, my thesis project, um, they wanted to do a project uh, with an evaluation of an app that could issue like um, an it's a test that's done in hospitals for patients that are at a risk of having uh, post-operative delirium. Um, but they're always forgetting to do it in the hospitals. So um, they wanted an, an app that could facilitate it like easier in a way that like anybody could use. It's literally just drag your finger from point A to point B kind of thing. Um, they wanted to do something like that and uh, assess the usability of it. But the problem was that the app didn't exist yet. So I had to program the app and then test it. So, <laughs> so that was like not like a, a standard part of my curriculum, but it was my independent research project because I already knew how to write Java. I'd been doing it for years in high school. So I'm like, okay, that's real. This is fun. And that's actually how I got like my first couple of jobs at a university was they were looking for a designer, but back in 2014, like there was a big argument about should a designer also know how to code. And I, I kind of had an advantage at the time because I was fresh out of university. Like it's hard to get hired when you're fresh out of university. So I was going for design jobs, but I also knew how to program and I had that project on my resume. So I got hired almost like immediately. Um, but when you're a designer, you know, you're usually the first one to go when the company's having hard times. So I ended up just moving into the development sector because I had that in my background. I'm like, yeah, probably there's better job security as a developer. So I'm going to try and get more jobs than that. So that's kind of like where I've been the last couple of years, just like learning everything that I can. <laughs> So uh, that's uh, that's so cool that you have that though. Both I, it's really nice actually that you, you have the design background as somebody who works in the marketing side of things in the real world and stuff like that. Um, not a lot of people speak design, but also speak <laughs> the back end and how to make that work. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool that you actually have both of those going on for you. 
Um, also, Stormcrow fifty six k in the chat says that you uh, he has one of your input displays as well. You made his. Uh, he says, uh, "Oh yeah, you. yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, that's awesome. <laughs> very cool. Um, okay, Thank so you for purchasing. <laughs> what, let's bring it on back a little bit here to some Super Mario RPG. RPG. Um, uh, Murdoch asked first of all, how many copies of uh, Mario RPG do you have? Super Mario RPG. Um, not that many actually. I used oh. to have a lot because um, I used to have a lot because. Super Mario RPG was one of the last games to be supported by the uh, SD2 SNES flash cart. That was because it uses the SA1 chip, which mm. there was no emulation for until a year or two ago. Um, so I bought some Japanese cartridges to make practice saves for different parts of the run. And I was learning three categories at the time. So I made, I had like practice saves for each part of the run. But then once, uh, once um, it was SD2 SNES, um, added support for SA1. I just sold all my copies of the game. Ah, no. I, mean, yeah, I guess you don't need them as much anymore after that to kind of... Yeah, well, I didn't sell all of them, just most of them, because I sold them so that other people learning the game could have, like, a proper cart to do runs on. So I was like, I don't really have a need to keep these around anymore. So I'm just selling them for, like, 10 bucks, 15 if they wanted me to ship it to them. That is so cool. That's that. See, that's the way you get the. That's the way you build the community. You get make sure the cart's <laughs> out there for them. Um, so tell us the. So okay, uh, I'm gonna. I get a little bit uh, really pretty dumb here. So if you, <laughs> so if my questions uh, are, are aren't aren't the right question or anything like that, please correct me. And my apologies if they are. But first of all, what is a randomizer, and why did you? Ch why has the community chosen to randomize SMRPG? Oh yeah, I can actually talk a bit about the history of that. Um, That'd be great. Rand randomizer, um, randomizers have actually been around for a while. Randomizers were initially developed by speedrunners for speedrunners, just as a new fun take on the game. What they mostly do is uh, they will add some randomness to certain elements of the game. Um, whether that be you're playing like Link to the Past and uh, the contents of all the treasure chests are shuffled amongst each other, so you have to go on a treasure hunt for the game. Or they could be things like... Um, there are some RPGs where what they randomize is pretty much just like your statuses, what spells you learn, what stuff the enemies can do, uh, what's in your shops, that kind of stuff. But the game is still like linear. Then there are other randomizers like Final Fantasy IV Free Enterprise, which are open world. And by open world, what I mean is you start off with access to a lot of different parts of the game that you don't in the original game. So instead of starting off in Baron Town, you have you start off with your airship and you can go anywhere on the blue planet and uh, do all the side quests and and uh, look for the thing that you're looking for because all the prizes have been randomized. Like all the side quest rewards have been randomized. Um, that's that's like a that's just kind of like the basic concept of randomizers. It's just like um, it's a fresh take on your original game that just turns it into um, a new puzzle in an already familiar world. And I think that's why like they've become so popular is because like you know you, you play the same game over and over and over again. You love it, but sometimes you want something a little bit different, but without straying too far out of your comfort zone. So you play a randomizer, and that um, takes familiar elements and just makes them a little bit different. It makes you have to like think about what you're doing and solve puzzles with uh, what you've been given um we we have that in super mario rpg the first randomizer of super mario rpg was written by abyssinum abyssinum has done a lot of rpg randomizers and what the randomizer was back then was a windows batch file that uh it was, a, it was a script that um, accepted uh, a copy of SMRPG, and it just uh, scrambled a bunch of stuff. What it did at the time was it randomized the contents of shops. It, uh, sh it 
gave you random numbers for your party stats and your stat growth. It randomized uh, the enemy stats, what they're strong or weak to. It randomized um, who can wear which equipment. It randomized like the costs of items. Um, stuff stuff like that. Like, it was still SMRPG. It was still, like, the same game. Like, it was linear, except it was just, like, um, shuffling some of the numbers in the game and the placements of things in your shops. Um, that was, that was like, the first iteration of the randomizer. And then uh, Dorkmaster Fleck and Alanim came along a few years later. And Dorkmaster Fleck translated it into a web version, so you didn't have to download the Windows batch file anymore. But uh, he took all the exact same logic and made it, like, a Python web application that just, like... Uh, just like applies it to a game and spits a ROM back out at you so you don't have to like actually do any downloading anymore. And Alanim actually, Alanim did some really cool stuff. He developed the first cutscene patch for the game. So we are literally playing the same version of SMRPG with all the cutscenes and everything, just with a couple things shuffled. Alanim actually came along and he made a patch for the game that was integrated into the randomizer that shortened or removed all the cutscenes so you can get through them very fast because you played the game so many times you don't want to have to like match through everything <laughs> yeah, especially when it's in a randomizer and uh you can kind of get some really unexpected results like enemies that you have to fight after a series of cutscenes that just like destroy you and you have to go <laughs> through the cutscene every time you want to attempt it again oh, yeah. so that was getting like kind of tiring for a lot of people they didn't want to play the randomizer too much like because of that so he removed that cutscene and then that kind of like that also made it like um people want to play it a lot more often right. but um one of the kind of downsides of smrpg randomizer at the time was that um the contents of chess were not randomized in fact that was not done until earlier this year and uh, i actually helped with the code for that um, the reason that it wasn't done is because chess and SMRPG are programmed in such a way that is not consistent among all of them so it's not as simple as just like um finding an address and changing what's at the address there it because chess are programmed as events we didn't really like it wasn't like really as easy to do that we had to really dive deep into the game's code and see how that could be done so alanim actually did most of the work like making that possible um fleck created all the necessary data structures around alanim's research so that we knew exactly where to write the code uh, that contains the item ids and uh, i wrote the logic for it so that was actually only released in in march <laughs> you so so you definitely have answered like a bunch of my questions already. I'm curious when you're when you're looking at the code or when you're when you're when you're in, putting injecting things into it or changing it. How do you get access to it in in a in a ROM or in a game like that? How does how do, I mean? Do you reverse engineer? How does something like that happen? So I actually don't know the proper answer to that because okay. in SMRPG we're very lucky. Um, some ROM hackers a couple years ago, namely uh, John Gergolo, he actually produced a ROM hacking tool for SMRPG that is incredibly, incredibly comprehensive and powerful. <laughs> we don't use it for directly modifying the game because sometimes it has some unintended side effects. Mm. What we actually do is that this ROM hack tool called Lazy Shell, it decomposes a lot of things in the game and translates them into human readable code and it actually shows you the corresponding hex code for all of it so we don't actually have to do a whole lot of work in reverse engineering it there are sometimes occasionally where we will have to reverse engineer like some of the code that we're reading just like based on patterns we've seen elsewhere in the code i can think of a time recently when uh some bosses were hard locking because we changed one byte in the code and it turns out we actually just it turns out we actually just like put a byte patch like one address too late um, <laughs> no. 
And what and the thing that we overwrote was a pointer that like that like is the start of I think your own party's attack listing. So things were going horribly, horribly wrong. And when I when I saw like what was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what the game is trying to do, and I know why this is an incorrect bite. But this is actually crazy. I see exactly what it's trying to do with this improperly placed <laughs> bite, and that's actually really cool. So I moved it back one space, and then boom, everything worked. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, but uh, yeah, it's um we we have that. Uh, tool already so it is like fairly easy to read in fact i've assembled a team of like 18 people that are actually combing through all of the game's event code and telling me where all the item grant locations are because i do plan on rewriting how chess uh, item granting works Mm. and it's like so easy to understand that i was able to just make a couple of youtube videos and show it to like a whole bunch of people and they read it and they went to town and we have like this big document of like where like all the addresses that the item grants are at like that's that's how lucky we are as smrpg developers but we're also unlucky in the fact that like nobody in our team like really knows assembly so it's kind of hard to add new Mm. features that are not like done within the scope of what lazy shell can accomplish Mm. so if someone wants to add a frame counter i don't know how to add a frame counter don't (laughs) ask me that i don't know assembly like i haven't written assembly in 13 years i i I could pick it up again but it had be like a huge learning curve you know um um, yeah so and and i think so you brought up something that i actually just recently discovered and i feel silly as a speedrunner i feel like i should have discovered this a long time ago but i saw author blues doing some um memory address he was he was looking at memory addresses to kind of analyze hey how much damage does a certain enemy take or a certain boss all those kind of things and th- even I have, I have no, I am not a coder. I don't under, like it just, it baffles my brain what you're able to do with, with programming and coding and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I will say that it, it, but if you, you learning how to look at memory addresses provides some really valuable information and it, and it, and I love the, that you're mentioning in the randomizer because that's kind of a next evolutionary step. You can actually, uh, uh, you can, you can manipulate those, those, uh, those, uh, memory addresses to like you're saying, uh, uh, randomize certain events, but then to take the next step, you're going to have to, like you were mentioning before, you have to take, you have to do some other things as well, not just, uh, changing some memory, memory addresses. Yeah. It depends. It depends a lot on the feature you want to add. There's, um, there's like uh there's looking at memory addresses as in you are looking at the final production build of the game you're like loading the game up into a hex editor and seeing what's going on there and um you are using a rom editor and uh, changing some things so you compare them side by side in your hex editor and see what changed there's also looking at memory addresses and looking in your game's active memory so um seeing um that that's things like uh rng counters or um uh, I think RNG counters is probably the best example. Like, you're not going to find an RNG value, like, in the game's hex code. You're going to see it, like, in your game's active memory, like, when you're playing it uh. in an emulator, and you have an emulator that is monitoring certain parts in the game's active memory. It's like your hard drive versus your RAM. That's kind of how that works. Um, it's, uh, so, like, that's actually pretty cool stuff. Like, looking at, um, looking at hex stuff in uh, your game's active memory is actually how RNG manips are found. Um, it's how like a lot of uh, strats in the game are found. It's how the wrong warp in SMRPG any percent was discovered. Mm. Um, it's, uh, there's just like so much you can do with ROMs and ROM hacks and things. It's amazing. And um, being able to like monitor what is happening in your game as you're playing through it, I think is actually how they develop ROM, uh, ROM hacking tools like that. They understand like what the logic is under the hood and they can actually map out what is taking place where at each place in the code just by like 
playing through the game and monitoring a certain address and seeing it change when you enter a room. You're like, okay, so this controls what room I'm in, maybe. And you do more <laughs> research and more research and you kind of come up with something really cool. No, I, 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 it's such a, it can be really empowering if you're, especially for like a game that doesn't have a big community around it. I run a lot of TurboGrafx-16 games and we don't have very many runners in a lot of the games. So fi this information is like super valuable because one thing, we don't have 8,000 people, we don't have 100 people playing the game to, to discover these things. And so it's, it's, it's yeah. really great. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that you worked on the logic for uh, uh, the SMRPG randomizer, and uh, how, first of all, how do you how, how do you go about uh, establishing what the logic should be before you actually implement it into the into the randomizer itself? Oh yeah, that's um, I love this question actually. Um, it a lot of it just comes from like my background. Like before I went into design, you know, I was really into optimization math, so. Um, coming up with like equations for things like just just like inventing equations for stuff i just love doing that this it's just fun so um <laughs> i was thinking a lot about uh i was thinking i was playing a lot of ff4 free enterprise at the time mm -hmm. and i really liked what they did with um their chess shuffle options they have a bunch of different methods in which to randomize the chests so i was trying to do something similar so in ff4 free enterprise at the time what they had was um you could either do uh, randomization where literally anything can appear anywhere, or you could have randomization where literally anything can appear anywhere except for the very best item in the game. Like you're not going to find Adam and Darm, you're not going to find Stardust Rod. Um, <laughs> they have another option where um, you randomize what's in the chest, but generally chests that are harder to access will have better items. Um, that So that was what I thought was really interesting. That's cool. So, um, the logic for SMRPG randomization is actually all done in Python. Um, we do like a lot of Python code. And what the Python code is, it determines um, the ultimate order of where everything is supposed to go. And then it translates that into a ROM patch that you can apply to the game. And it applies it to the game and spits out a ROM at you. So the Python code is actually like, Python is known for being a very human readable programming language. Mm -hmm. um, um, in fact, I didn't know any Python at all until I started working on SMRPG Randomizer just because I heard it was an easy language to pick up. So I just read it. And I was like, okay, I think I kind of understand what's going on here. So um, the first thing I did actually was rewrite the shop code because um, the, the shop randomization code was written for the original randomizer that Abyssinum made. And that was written for the game being linear. Mm -hmm. But now this randomizer had been made open world because of um, Alan and made a new patch that allowed us to randomize who had star pieces and give us access to the whole world map right at the start of the game, which transformed the randomizer like in a ridiculously amazing <laughs> way. It, it was, like, I, I played the first ever like uh, beta ROM for it. And I was like, this is incredible, dude. <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, we do, we do it. Uh, we do it all in Python and um I actually looked at a list of all the chests that Elenim had compiled data for. He had uh, done some ROM hacking that allowed it to be easier to patch items into those chests, and he made a big list of them that Fleck used to make the data structures for them. And I went through and I made an Excel document of um, ranking each of the chests in terms of how easy they are to access. And... Uh, 
that was um, kind of how I made like the balance chests option was um, generally a harder to access chest will contain a better item. Now, a better item was probably even harder to write than uh, like determining <laughs> what's a better item was harder to write than determining what's a harder chest access because a harder chest to access is okay. I know this is behind two progression items, so this one will be ranked higher because you need more stuff to get there, mm-hmm. um, or you need to do a boss fight to get here, or you need to traverse through a real long dungeon to get here. That kind of stuff. Um, in SMRPG randomizer, the properties of your equipment can be randomized, so they can like uh, the the shirt that gives you like three defense or whatever it is could suddenly have KO protection. <laughs> Like that that's that's a big deal. Like yeah. KO protection is a huge deal. There are a lot of unblockable like one hit KO moves in the game that just don't work on you if you have that item equipped. So um what I ended up doing was I made a I made like a spreadsheet of every equip in the game and um I wrote out all of its stats in the columns and uh, additionally I put like a column for each property it can have so that's things like full fire resistance, half fire resistance, full ice resistance, half ice resistance, uh, resistance to poison, resistance to mushroom, resistance to um, berserk, uh, one hit KO status, um, uh, half uh, one and a half times attack boost multiplier, uh, speed increase, like all, all that kind of stuff. And um, I had to, like, with a lot of trial and error, I came up with a formula on, like, just calculating a score for each item and then outputting a rank for each one. And I just fine-tuned that until, like, I saw a ranking system that, like, I kind of agree with from my knowledge of the original game. And then Fleck generated a bunch of test seeds for me that spat out all the equip data to a spreadsheet. And then I ran that formula on all those spreadsheets to see, like, if I kind of agreed with the assessment that my formula made. And if I didn't, well, back to the drawing board. And eventually I came up with a formula that I thought was like very fair for calculating how good an item is relative to all the other items in the game. And so that would, um, that would be able to divide all the items in the game into one of four ranks. So you have like your 10 or 15 best items in the game. Those go in the hardest to access chests. Then you have your next 20 items. Those go in like sort of hard to access, but not as hard as like the, the top 15 and, and so on and so forth. And, um, that was like that was like the logic that I had to write for for chest and shop randomization. Actually, shop randomization is similar. It's like harder to access shops get better stuff, or you can just randomize everything anywhere up to you. But um, the rank of the item and its score actually determines the price of the item. So that was another formula that I had to adjust. Um, that was the first thing I did as part of the development team for the randomizer was come up with that stuff and just implement the logic for it. And it's like constantly undergoing revisions. I'm always thinking about like ways to make it better that I just haven't implemented yet, but I have like a huge notepad file on my phone of things I want to change. About <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, uh, thank you for sharing that. Cause that's super fascinating how that actually goes about and, be- and gets created. Um, what's the, um, how do you determine if the randomizer actually works? Like you can still beat the game. Is that just through simple testing or there, is there a formula? Like how does that part of it work? Oh, there actually is a formula. I don't work on that. So I can't speak like okay. too much to it, but I think, um, Fleck actually implemented that. And he, he basically copied what link to the past randomizer does, mm. which is like you set, um, it's, it's like a logic chain. Every location in the game, like every item, has a set of requirements it needs to be met in order for it to be accessible. And if there are any violations in the requirements, like um, castle, like... Uh, 
castle key one is behind the door that opens when you have castle key one, then it just won't generate the seed. It'll generate a new one. Um, It it just makes it impossible. Um, I've learned a bit more about that from uh, what I've been doing lately. I've been helping with a web tracker for Ocarina of Time randomizer. I've been like adding Ocarina of Time randomizer has like a hundred and something um, toggleable logical like sequence breaks yeah yeah there you can you can turn sequence breaks on and off in the logic and um there is a web tracker that i really like which is uh track dash ot.net and uh there is a section where you can enable or disable those logic skips um but there was only like 30 of them done or so and uh the developers were just really busy they hadn't had time to implement the rest of them and i was playing that randomizer a lot and uh, i learned a bunch of sequence breaks because i do a lot of multi-world so when i'm in multi-world i'm typically playing um with friends to help them get like used to the randomizer and uh like just play for fun so um i typically end up stuck a lot of the time where i have nothing to do so i learned a bunch of sequence breaks so just because i was bored and i wanted something else to do with the randomizer so i was like oh it'd actually be really cool if i could enable or disable all of the sequence breaks that i actually know in this tracker so i asked the developers of the tracker about it and uh they're like oh yeah you know this is open source Here, here's the file where it's done and um i went through and I added the rest of the logic skips, and that's in the development branch right now. But what I did actually was I went to otrandomizer.com, I looked at their source code, and uh, I read the logic files for the actual OOT randomizer, and I just tried to replicate that with what the tracker was doing. And I was like, oh, this is actually really similar to how SMRPG randomizer's logic works. So I think that's like a fairly standard thing to do in uh, randomizer is um, you have like a set of requirements that have to be met for each item or each location, and um, the, the, it just like ensures that those are met so that it's not an impossible seed to complete. It's like it's all like actually embedded into the code that um, this is required in order for something for this item to be placed here. It has to be it has to meet these conditions. And if it doesn't, well, it's not going to go here. Um, yeah, that's actually something that flected. Um, I, I'm our, glad that you pointed out yeah. those correlations because my rando experience is with OOT. That's the one I enjoy. I'm a casual player. I don't speed run. And I, so I don't know glitches and to your point, sequence breaks and things like that. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, I know on OOT, you can, you know, depending on your toggle, I can make it as basic as possible. Somebody like me can finish the game, <laughs> but somebody who's, you know, been running the game for five years, 10 years may not, may want some, uh, obviously a much more sophisticated or complicated experience. So that's cool that you, there, there, there are these options exist for the randos. Yeah, I, I actually love that about things like OOT Randomizer or um, FF4 Free Enterprise and all the other like really well-developed randomizers out there. That is like kind of where um, I personally would like to take SMRPG Randomizer. I'm actually like in the works. It's a little bit on the back burner right now because I'm starting a new job next week. I've been playing OOT Multi-World here and there. I've been working on some other projects, but um, that's kind of like the direction that I would like to take SMRPG Randomizer is to have it be much more customizable. So I've actually like written an interface for it and shown it to some people who play the randomizer like religiously and they are so excited. Um, <laughs> it's a, uh, but you know, I'm only, I'm only one person on the team. There are actually nine developers credited with the SMRPG Randomizer and they're all excellent, amazing people. And we all work on different things. So it's like, it's a really, really cool team. <laughs> I think that's so awesome. And it also seems like with with almost, with the, as your point, like with, with Final Fantasy IV, the free enterprise and all this, like these are the, kind of the next evolutionary steps of, of the randomizing community and things like that. Um, because at some point you want, you want to play what's next. That's what's, one of the things I love about a randomizer is that it makes the game just feel brand new. And so after yeah. you've spent some time now in the current iteration, you want to, you know, you're ready for the next thing, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it's uh it's pretty cool like just like when we think we've thought of everything there is to randomize you know <laughs> there something else comes up like one of the, one of my favorite additions lately has actually been uh um one guy who joined our team just after rpg limit break um his name is pat he's one of the developers he actually wrote a feature that like disassembles the boss scripts and reconstructs them based on like some logic that happens in the python code so what he built was a spell randomizer and the spell randomizer is hilarious it's 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 amazing there are some unused spells in the game that are like ridiculously overpowered and you just have to help and pray that you don't get them and the one that was the he, he wrote it, he put a comment in the code that says we're excluding Big Bang from this because Big Bang is dumb <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. And like I, I was like looking at how he built this disassembler uh, and the spell randomization code. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and <laughs> and like it actually made um it actually made my life a lot easier because the fe- I was working on a feature lately. I was doing like a, a couple of features at the same time in tandem with each other. Um, I was making the no free characters flag happen. So SMRPG Rando, the way it's been for a long time was you start off with a party of three characters. And the reason you cannot start off with only one person is because there are nine fights in the game that either soft lock or hard lock if you don't have a full party. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we we thought that, you know, it might not be possible to make it able to start off with only one character, but I was like, hold on a second, there's something funky going on in this but in this boss code. And I started looking at it a bit more and I came up with some ways to make it not soft lock anymore. And that mostly came from um editing animation scripts like there are there are cutscenes that happen in boss battles and those were actually the source of the hard blocks so i looked at the battle cutscenes, and what they were trying to do was they were trying to animate characters that don't exist so it's trying to animate party member two and party member three who are not in your party so all i did was take those animations out and then it worked fine um (laughs) but uh then you had more complicated things there were there were two fights that were a little more complicated actually three uh one of them was not a soft lock but it just made no sense if you didn't have a full party um the three fights in question were um, Valentina, Bunt, and Boyer. Valentina was kind of like a mix of two problems. Valentina was like, um, Valentina will crash your game because Dodo is trying to take a character away who isn't there. I didn't want to take that whole section of the fight away, so I just added some logic to the fight that says if you start off the, the, the fight and you only have less than three people in your party, just don't summon Dodo. But if you have three people... All right, have fun fighting Dodo in the one v one. That is still <laughs> happening. Um, so that so I just had to add like a condition there. But um, the way that conditional logic in boss battles works is very rudimentary. So the way I had to structure it was actually quite a challenge, and it was kind of it was really really fun to work on. Um, I had to do like a lot of uh, a lot of chains of of conditions that uh, ended up working in the end. The bunt fight. The bud fight was like its own beast because that is the cake fight in SMRPG. And for those of you who've played the game or at least watched me speed run it, y'all know what goes down in the second phase. Yeah. What goes down in the second phase is uh, it doesn't matter how much damage you do. It just straight up doesn't matter because that's an event fight. <laughs> the, the, the cake has five candles on its head. You attack it once, it blows out a candle. And it regenerates one at the end of every turn. So think about what happens when you only have one person in your party and you need to blow all the candles out and attack it in order to be able to advance a phase three. Well, what's going to happen if you can only issue one attack per turn and it regenerates one per turn? That's a soft lock until you die. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So um, what uh, what I ended up doing was um, added some checks at the start to set a bit, and the bit will actually determine if Bunt is going to regenerate a candle or not at the end of the turn. Um, the bit is only set if you have one character. If you have one character in your party, it sets a bit that says don't regenerate candles. Um, so I, I did that. Don't re, don't regenerate a candle if you only have one person, but if you have two or more, it's fair game. So in fact, having two people for Bunt is probably the crappiest way to fight him. Um, and so so I pushed that. But then Alanim had a very evil idea that I liked a lot, and it was, uh, okay, instead of having him just not attack you when you have one character, have him not attack you, but only if you attacked him that turn. I'm like... I like I like this because he regenerates if you take a turn to heal yourself. So that's evil. I love it. I'm implementing <laughs> it. <laughs> so um the the third the third fight was not a soft lock. This was the Bowyer fight. Bowyer has three buttons and he can disable one that disables that button for you entirely. It just gets rid of you he he locks Y, you can't use spells, he locks A, you can't use standard attacks, he locks X, you can't use items. That's actually not random, that's based on a counter system, and the counter system attributes points to each attack that you do, and after two turns, it counts up how many points you have, and it passes a certain threshold that determines what button it locks. Well, some of the thresholds are not possible to meet without three people in your party. So, I just redid the math on that, and uh, made a really complicated script for him that uh, that has different thresholds based on your party size. So, that was like the third fight that was kind of affected by that. And rewriting all those scripts became like probably a billion and one times easier because of Pat's boss disassembler. And I'm just like, this is awesome. I love this. I'm going to change Boyer and it's not going to be a problem. And um, yeah, he, he's done like some really amazing stuff for the rando. Um, the, the thing, like the big thing when I joined the randomizer development team is that there were four devs at the time. There were Fleck, Ellen, Swinch, and Yaki Bomb. And Yaki Bomb is a really, really experienced SMRPG ROM hacker. So he was able to find things in Lazy Shell that none of us, none of the rest of us really understood. Because for a while, Gino could not actually use randomized items. Otherwise, the game would just crash. Um, Yaki Bomb is the person who fixed that because he knew about what was happening. He understood what was happening in uh, Gino's attack animations and fixed it. Um, Swinch was like Swinch went like he he did some really crazy stuff. Um, the dude was editing the credit sequence, which is not like available in Lazy Shell. He was just like <laughs> cold calling random like addresses in uh, the credit sequence. Like he just found them. He just went and he found he found. I don't know what he did, but he found like all the stuff in the credit sequence, and he edited the credits. And you can't do that in the ROM editor. So he documented all of his findings, and then um, Pat actually went and uh, disassembled the credit sequence so that we can add stuff to it like easily. So we actually have like a proper credit sequence now with all the developers, the people who came up with the concept of the randomizer, which are Abyssinim and Lack Attack 24 is the guy that came up with the concept of the open world randomizer, all the graphics artists that did the palette swaps, all the QA people that are the team I assembled, and my other team of the logic mappers. That's all in there now because he made that possible. So when I came onto the team, like Fleck wrote the Python code that placed stuff in the addresses that Alanim gave him, but... Um, there were some things that were a little more complicated that couldn't be accomplished at the time. Like, um, what I wanted to do was um, make it so that Bowser's Keep can be shortened or lengthened depending on how many of the obstacle course doors you want to do. And then also have a wacky flag in there that 
out of the six doors, they're not like set obstacle courses. So you go on door number one and you have like three platforming rooms. Well, instead of having three platforming rooms, you might have a platforming room, a puzzle room, and another puzzle room, or you might have a battle room, a puzzle room, and a platforming room, like all behind the same door. Um, that wasn't possible to do because the room loaders for each of them are quite different and actually required some custom logic to be generated on the fly in the ROM, like in the SMRPG ROM. And nobody on the team knew how to do that. And uh, I had just joined the team and I just like was working with it for a while and I actually came up with a way to generate like a custom uh, like a custom a custom code sequence that SMRPG can understand and just like dump it into the ROM directly. Um, so that was like groundbreaking. That opened the door for like a lot of new things for us to do. That's actually like, I applied a similar concept to um, randomizing, uh, uh, like doing the proper animations in the boss randomization. So you walk into Bandit's Way and instead of seeing Crocker running around, you see Booster because you're fighting Booster in that area. We didn't have that before. You you would just have to see who it was when you entered the fight. Um, that was like something that we thought was impossible because of um, because we didn't really know how to write conditional game. Like we didn't know how to write game logic conditionally. We knew how to like we knew how to replace uh, like item IDs and, and stuff like that, but we didn't know how to like write our own game logic on the fly. So that was like a, that was like a that was like a big thing. And then then Pat comes along and he knows how to do that, except he knows how to do it better than I do. So now we have like <laughs> so now we have like a couple of devs on the team who like really really know the stuff, and we were able to like make all these really cool enhancements to the randomizer that were previously thought to be impossible. Like we're always discovering new things we can do with the game, and it's just like it's going places, and it's been like a really fun project to be on for the last nine months or so that's so awesome and i think it kind of it ties back into what we were originally talking about which is like these all these iterations create just these new experiences and now unexpected experiences as you're playing through the game so it's never going to feel i mean that's the whole point of the randomizer it never it's this, never the same experience twice but this really goes i mean it really changes the way that you're going to experience the game when you're playing through it uh with it depending on your seed uh I just, I think it's so cool. I think it's so great that you guys are still too. You're growing and you're, you're updating. I mean, there's these changes are happening. It seems like all the time. Uh, and it's really great that you have such a diverse team that gives you the options to try to go in and play in some of these areas you haven't done in the, in the ROM before, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. It's really cool because like everyone on the dev team brings like a different set of talents. Like we have three other devs too, that I haven't mentioned yet. Like uh, SNES Chalmers actually helped me um, build the palette swap uh, code mm. that I put together the graphics team to, to flesh out they actually like built all the palette swaps because like we were able to figure out how to do it and we also that also involved like changing the names of the characters which was something that he found for me um there's also uh at bigelow who works on he, he works on the web front end he's actually building a spoiler log so he doesn't deal so much like with the game's internal workings he deals with like the web interface which is great because we need people to do yeah. that um <laughs> And then we also have um, amazing, amazing Amphros, actually. Yeah, the, the Ocarina of Time randomizer developer has contributed to SMRPG randomizer as well. Um, so that is obviously bringing in like some very good experience. So his contribution was actually, um, he rewrote the logic of how item stats are shuffled, which is which is great because one of the complaints about the randomizer was that like it's too predictable which items end up being OP and which ones don't. And mm -hmm. his code kind of changed that. And uh, that I thought that was like super cool. <laughs> that was really cool. 
that thanks for recognizing the entire team too. I know because a lot I, from the outsider, just as the you know the viewer or the person who's just playing through it, there, there seems like there's so many unsung heroes who are doing this. You know, nobody's getting paid or anything. This is just the community, you know, contributing to all these things. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If there's one thing I love doing, it's shouting out like everyone on that team because everyone who works on SMRPG Randomizer brings like some really unique talent to it, like <laughs> something that something that they can do better than anyone else on the team can. Like there's just so much so 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 much talent on that team and it's like it's it's like really showing in like what we're producing so uh a question for you if i wanted to play the uh, smrpg randomizer how do i go about doing that and does it will it, can i play it on uh my n64 like can does it work on original hardware it does yeah it works on uh sd2 snes um you can play it at uh randomizer.smrpgspeedruns.com um you just uh, you have to have a copy of the English version of the game. You can actually play it on an ST2 SNES or on a Wii. If your Wii is, is homebrewed, you can play it on that. Um, that's actually how we used to have to play it because ST2 SNES didn't support it. So we uh, we were able to like inject it into a Wii Virtual Console copy of the game and just like upload that onto the console. So that option is still there for people who prefer to play with VC. But yeah, you can do it either in an emulator or you can play it on your SD2 SNES or you can play it on Wii Virtual Console if you have a soft-modded Wii. Uh, I got a question for you. Uh, you know, I've, I've never actually beat uh, SMRPG. Would you recommend that I try to do something like that before I take on the randomizer? Or like, I'm curious what, or is it something you can just jump right into? I'm curious about that. Um, I would suggest beating SMRPG first just so that like you kind of understand like what's going on in the game because the randomizer doesn't give you a ton of direction if you've never played before because it's open world. Um, we do actually have like a beginner's guide to SMRPG randomizer on the site that walks you through like what everything does, how battle mechanics work. Um, it, it's very, very detailed. That was actually the first contribution I made to the randomizer was that player's guide. Um, if you are like new to the game and you've never beaten SMRPG before and you kind of like read that as you're playing through the randomizer I think you could probably beat the game um, it's just like um, if you have a lot of experience with the game you know obviously it's going to be a lot easier if you know like okay final boss in the factory you know that much okay then you're probably good to go <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's uh, the concept of the randomizer is that um, to get to the final boss of the game you need to collect all your star pieces and uh we don't know which of the bosses have star pieces. So you have to go around finding all the bosses to find all the star pieces and open up the way to the factory. And that's how you beat the game. Um, that, that was like, that's like the most basic concept of the randomizer. So if that sounds like a cup of tea. Absolutely. Go for it. It's really fun. There's a whole lot of other things you can customize to, to kind of make it your own experience. I would also recommend that, you know, once again, I haven't beat the game, but I really enjoy watching people play this on stream. Like it's a really, it's, it's, it's fun and entertaining to watch. Um, but you can, you can pick it up and understand it pretty easily as a viewer. There's a, especially with people who play it quite often, they talk through it and it's very interesting. You can talk over it pretty well as well to kind of explain what's going on. <laughs> Mm, absolutely. Uh, okay, so it's, you know, with the beginning of a new year, it's 2020. What are, any uh, plans for you for uh, speed? I know you've recently made some some marathon appearances. Uh, is, is there anything you'd like to games you haven't gotten to or things you want to play in the new year? You know what? I say every year I'm going to learn such and such and such game, and then I discover a new project and forget all about it. So I I no longer make New Year's resolutions because I'm pretty much always working on something all the time. Um, 
I I do want to uh, I do I do want to like the thing I want to do more often is stream. Whether I'm just streaming speedruns or I'm streaming like commission streams or I'm streaming like development streams, I just want to stream more often. I just want to show people what I'm up to, which most of the time is SMRPG randomizer code or working on perlers or um, playing Ocarina of Time randomizer because I'm just like hooked on that now. Um, yeah, I would like to. One thing that I do want to do is I want to PB an SMRPG any percent because it's been almost three years since I've PB'd that category. And, you know, that's like that's like the category of SMRPG. Um, I want to finish the routing of SMRPG most of the stuff because Oxus has been rerouting it um, there. And uh, I want to, like, consolidate our routes together and, like, kind of make something super optimized. So what I'm actually doing is I'm building a new routing tool for SMRPG. I've built a couple so far, but I'm building, like, a more integrated one that that covers, like, your coins and your inventory as opposed to just your experience. Um, those are kind of, like, my two main goals for this year is to complete those two things. Um, I'm probably not going to be making any marathon appearances this year because I'm starting a new job, like, mm -hmm. next week. And, uh, like, I don't want to be asking, like, for a week off to go somewhere, like, <laughs> yes. when I'm only a couple months into the job, you know? And uh, also, like, if I'm going to be taking time off, priority goes to having my best friend visit me because um, my best friend who who I met from speedrunning SMRPG taught me almost everything I know about the game. And uh, we, he's been my best friend for like four years, but we don't live in the same country. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, if, if I'm going to take time off, like priority goes to if he's available to come and see me. And if not, then all right, I'll go to a marathon. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I, that's a, I, you know, when I was doing the research for, for our chat today, I was, I was actually a little bit surprised to see that you hadn't P, that your last PB for any percent was two years ago, because I, it seems like I watch you run the game all the time on streaming, but a lot of times it's randomizers, developments, all those other things you're talking about doing. And so I, when you, when you get back into a grind like that, uh, does it, is, is I assume that's going to be kind of the, one of the things that's going to take some, it's going to take some time to, to put into that to make that work. Yeah. Um, one thing I don't like to do is I don't like to burn myself out on something. Oh, um, nice. if I, if I am going to accomplish a PB in any percent, I don't actually place like that much stock in it. I, I find that like one of the worst things you can do is set yourself a deadline that you have to PB by. I think that's like a terrible idea in most cases. So it's like, if I don't PB by the end of the year, no big deal. It just means I was busy doing other things that I was enjoying doing. Um, but if it's like, you know, if I'm just kind of sitting around, I feel like SMRPG, I'll boot it up. I'll do a run. I'll see how I do. I don't run with splits anymore because I get too anxious looking at them. I have a lot more fun playing the game if I'm not using splits and like barely even looking at my timer. Um, I'm more just like kind of producing it because I love playing the game. And sometimes people like watching me play the game, even if I'm not the best in the world at it. Um, that's just that's just kind of my philosophy with that game. Like it's it's a grind, but it's also not a grind that I like voluntarily participate in, I suppose. No, that's actually really good advice, and I haven't heard it articulated that way. And um, you know, and I have uh, the, the first time I, I ran at SGDQ uh, in 2018, I, I I I did that. I set that goal. I'm like, you know, I got a PB before I go do this in a marathon setting and all those kind of things. And of course, it was detrimental. Nothing, you know, <laughs> my gameplay seemed to get worse and all those kind of things. But for the last few marathons I've done, I'm just like, I'm just gonna do no reset runs just so I'm prepared for the marathon. And the PB came naturally both times, <laughs> you know, from two different games. So that's such really that's really good advice, I think, for people. Well, that's great. <laughs> 
that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I appreciate that. Okay, very cool. Well, uh, I appreciate, thank you so much uh, for taking the time and chatting through all this. And I, I thank you also for telling us the details and geeking out a little bit on the behind the scenes on how an, an, a randomizer comes together, like SMRPG randomizer. Um, if people oh, yeah. want to, I, I, your stream is awesome. If you haven't seen uh, Pidge's stream, there's a bunch of cool stuff. There's there's a Game Boy webcam and it's I, just, just to entice you to go uh, check it out. Uh, where can people I find actually, you? Uh, I actually, Okay, I set up uh, I set up the uh, channel points so that people can change the color palette of my webcam. Now. Oh, that is so <laughs> okay. I can't wait. It's gonna be so geeky. Where can people find you if they want to go watch this? Uh, they can find me at Twitch.tv/pidge01. That's that's pretty much where I am most of the time. I have a Discord server too. I hang out in there. Um, the SMRPG Discord server. Uh, my name in there is BoxBoy in all caps because I think that's just like the funniest enemy name in the game. Um, but a lot of people join the Discord and don't realize that's me. But so yeah, if you join SMRPG Discord looking for the randomizer, that that's me. <laughs> and if I may recommend, if you're at all interested in SMRPG, um, the video that's been playing during the interview, if you're watching this on YouTube, is uh, her uh, is Pidge's run from uh, RPG Limit Break 2019. I was about to say this year, but it's not this year anymore. That was that's yeah, officially that's last year. <laughs> But there's a besides the, the the gameplay is at a really high level. There's a lot of great explanation about what's happening on. It's a really great introduction to the game if you're not familiar with it as well. So, uh, Pidge, thanks so much. Uh, uh, good luck in the, in your new job and everything that's going on this year. Uh, and I can't wait to see you uh, return to stream and see when you come up next. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. If you're enjoying the podcast, please feel free to share it with family, friends, and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. All those go a really long way to helping out the podcast. Thank you so much. Have a good one.